Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, Koshi here. Before we get into this episode of The Call, I've got a favour to ask. The bigger the Ausbiz audience, the more we can invest in great content and keep providing quality investment ideas to you for free. If you could just take a minute of your time to leave a review of The Call in the Apple Podcast app, it'll help keep our tribe growing. And of course, don't forget to catch up with all the best interviews each day at osbiz.com.au. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the call. Hello, everyone. Welcome back uh, to the afternoon session of on uh, Osbiz, Australia's only live streaming business and markets channel. You are switched into the call for the next 60 minutes uh, where we take a look at 10 stocks suggested by you, put them to an expert panel for their adjudication. Always great to catch up with uh, these two fellas. Ben Clark from TMS Capital. How are you, Ben? Uh, Luke Winchester from Merriweather Capital as well with us uh, up in Newcastle. Luke, how you uh, how you holding up up uh, on the north coast, central coast? Yeah, good, Koshi. Look, we avoided lockdowns for for a long time, but unfortunately, you know, COVID gets us all. So we've been in lockdown now for probably better part of a month, maybe even longer. Who knows? The, the days all all move together now. But no, doing well. Um, happy to be through reporting season and and looking forward to today. Yep, uh, Ben Clark. Who uh, each time we see him. Uh, like a lot of people in Sydney in lockdown, keeps getting wilder and woollier. Uh, no one can get a haircut. Um, ben, how did you find earnings season? Uh, challenging. Um, I'm sure Luke would agree, like sort of doing it all from home um, is not easy. And um, I hope I never have to go through it again. Um, you know, I think just miss the people touch. Um, you know, seeing seeing CEOs present in the flesh and, um, you know, talking to analysts and stuff like that after and getting their thoughts, you, you really can't compensate for it. So as good as Zoom has been and it's helping get us through, I'm looking forward to um, getting back into the real world. Yeah. Um, pretty generous reporting season too, wasn't it? With uh, size yeah. of dividends, uh, buybacks, yeah. the whole lot. Um, a lot of dough being dished out to shareholders, Ben. Were you expecting that? Uh, yeah, I think to some extent, um, you know, obviously the mining industry, iron ore in particular, just had a, a, a booming year. And, um, you know, if you think back to, to 2020, a lot, a lot of companies raised capital because they just weren't sure what the future held for them. Um, or they, they put their dividends kind of indefinitely on hold because they wanted to retain that cash rather than pay it out. So I think as, you know, CEOs have grown in confidence um, that, you know, we're going to get through this and, and what a new normal does look like. Um, they were happy to let some of that cash go in absence of finding something better to do with it. So um, not unsurprising, but the quantum of it was pretty, pretty amazing. And of yeah. course, there's some big takeover bids at the moment. So there's 
like a lot of cash is going to be pushed back into the market, hitting bank accounts and reinvested. Yeah. And um, also cash, cash reserves of our listed stocks are up as well. So there's plenty out there. All right, let's get uh, stuck into some stocks. I always choose a stock of the day, uh, something that's in the news. Thought we'd have a look at United Malt Group. It comes up a bit here on the call. Out with a trading update and earnings guidance after the bill yesterday. Uh, it's tipped earnings to be between $129-134 million for financial year 21, largely due to operations in North America, which are leveraged to reopening of venues and increased demand for beer, with uh, full-year malt volume, volumes expected to reach around 95% of pre-COVID levels. Um, Jeffrey's, um, um, the uh, broking group, weighing in, saying the forecast is a bit disappointing and below the broker's estimates, but not surprising given the impact of uh, covid uh, restrictions in both Asia and um, Australia. Ben, United Malt, of course, provides the malt for craft brewing and uh, yeah. uh, the boutique breweries that have sprung up around the world. Um, what do you think of the of the guidance and it as a stock at the moment? Yeah, look, I, ha I had a look at this one. We actually have had our eyes on this one because uh, this firmly falls into the reopening trade, as you kind of identified there. And... Um, so the numbers that they've come out, that these guys are on a March end of financial year, so they didn't report in the August reporting season. This is an out-of-cycle update from them. Um, it looks to me like the EBIT that they've um, put out there is about 5% below consensus. So, you know, it's not terrible. Um, and it's, as, as that analyst was pointing out, I think quite understandable given the environment out there. Um, there's no doubt that... Um, what has happened globally, because this is a global business, is that there's different geographies going through reopening, lockdowns, all of that sort of thing. And it's it's creating um, a lack of confidence in the customers of this business in terms of putting in forward orders, because they just don't know, I think, what the forward demand for their product looks like. As you said, you know, it's a, a, quite a lot of boutique brewing um, they're relying on, but they are particularly reliant on patrons going back to drinking on-premise versus off-premise. That's the big mm. driver for the um, for the product that they sell. And we're starting to see, of course, that pick up in the UK and, and in Europe, but it's kind of like two steps forwards and one step back in many countries around the world. So, you know, I actually think this could be an interesting buy at the moment if I was um, mm. um, putting a recommendation on it, because I think it will come back. I think there's a quality business in there. And, you know, what's happening at the moment is out of their control. But Slowly but surely, the world is moving in the right direction and it should help. Okay. So, uh, Luke, what do you think of United Malt? Yeah, look, Ben's right. I mean, um, yeah, it, it, it is a reopening play and I think you see that in the update they gave. Um, the, the, they called out the US and the UK as performing well, which they're the two economies we look at right now as, as being further along that reopen path. Um, you know, but they highlighted um, some other areas are struggling, in particular Australia, as we go into some more lockdowns and, and, and Asia as well. Um, look, I actually viewed it as a bit of a kitchen sink announcement as well. I think management um, have used this update to get all the bad news out of the stock and put it on the table. So they also um, sort of said there'll be some accounting changes to the way they do some software um, recognition in their in their accounts. 
um, announced they'll take a few provisions as well. One against a, um, a UK-based um, uh, customer who stores um, malt for them and also a large Asian customer. So about $20 million in, in, in one-off costs they'll, they'll wear this financial year. So I, I view that as just, you know, let's just get all the all the bad information out there, um, take the hit in, in FY21 um, for these guys um, and, and look to build off that base. Uh, the only thing that concerns me and probably why I wouldn't buy it today is just it, it is a heavily geared business. So even on the reduced EBITDA they've got, they're running at about two and a half times EBITDA. Um, you know, that, that that's a significant debt load. And so if you did see conditions worsen um, through, through you know, new waves or COVID variants, that may become a bit of a problem for me. So so one of the notes I wrote is, is you know, another capital raise probably wouldn't be out of the question, even though they did one, yeah. you know, um, during COVID last year. Um, so I would have it as a whole just because I think management have come out. They've just put all that bad information out at once. It's, and you usually do see that with stocks like this. You just get it all out at once, market digests it all, and then you can slowly base and, and, and build away. Um, but I'll just hold it for now um, and, and hopefully wait and see the, the, the fundamental recovery start to happen in the next couple of reports. Okay. All right. Let's take a, a look at the stocks that our viewers have sent in. And Luke Rod wants a view on Transurban, the, uh, uh, the big toll road um, owner here in the United States, uh, here in Australia and also in the United States. Uh, what do you think of Transurban? Shares have been a, a bit flat over the last 12 months as well, haven't they? Yeah, look, and probably a couple of reasons for that. One is is they've been COVID affected as well. You know, they they came out and, and sort of said the traffic was down seven um, percent on a on a like for like basis. They they had some additional roads that sort of changed the um, the overall numbers, but you know, like for like traffic down seven percent. Um, but I think the other reason why it sort of travelled a bit sideways is, is again, like Sydney Airport and some other infrastructure plays, um, the valuations of these businesses will, will um, move in correlation with with bond yields as well. And so, you know, we've sort of seen them largely track sideways now for a few months. Um, look, I, I don't have a, a great deal of insight into Transurban, to be honest. I mean, you know, we know the business, the asset life allows everyone to look through any sort of COVID impact. You've got, um, you know, I think uh, 20-something years uh, average asset life. Um, their free cash was down, and, and this is a business, so I, I made a note here. Um, it's not one to, to judge on earnings. It's, it's not how these businesses work. You judge them on their free cash flow. At current valuations, it's a 3.3% free cash flow yield. You compare that to you know, interest in a bank account or what you're getting on a term deposit, um, that, that's a good result. And if you go back to FY19, which is pre-COVID earnings, this, this price is at a 4% yield. So you know, it doesn't look excessively um, expensive to me at these levels. Um, the debt looks manageable as well. One of the issues I did take, um, there wasn't a great deal of information here from management, but they did flag some issues with the Westgate Tunnel down in Melbourne and said there will likely be some additional costs and delays with that project. So something to keep an eye on there. But look, I mean, Ben touched on it before in the intro, you know, just the, the, the waves of capital that's sloshing around in this market. You've had the bid come for Sydney Airport. You know, there, there'll be a natural flaw in a stock like Transurban um, because, you know, you'll have, these, you'll have these asset managers, be they superannuation funds or pension yeah. funds overseas. Their cost of capital is so low, they can look at something like a Transurban with its long asset lives and that and that bond-like nature and, and and you know to them there'll be there'll be a floor valuation where they'll just step in and, and buy the asset. So um, look, I, if I owned it, I would I would continue to hold it. Um, and if I was a sort of investor who was after that sort of yield and stability, I, you know I could probably buy it today as well. So um, it depends on what sort of investor you are, I suppose. Okay, uh, Ben. Yeah, I, I, I'd agree with all those comments. I think um, Luke's nailed that. Uh, Westgate is a pretty decent issue, and there's a there's a big spat with the Victorian government 
uh, about a significant cost and time blowout that's occurred on that project and, um, you know, could move well into the billions and, um, you know, mediation and lawyers being involved. So it's got pretty messy. I just think that the quality of um, the assets these guys own is second almost to none. It's I think airports and 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 toll roads, um, you know, are about as good as it gets. A couple of points I just make on top of what Luke said there is, um, the, the, these can be quite a good inflation hedge, um, which probably isn't as well known. But what a lot of CFOs have done, um, Spark, Sid, Transurban, APA is although they are heavily geared and so you sort of think if interest rates start going up that's not great for them a lot of them have done big debt issuance into um, overseas bond markets on fixed yields so you know transurban might issue a, a billion dollar bond at a two percent fixed rate for 15 years or something like that mm. so that they've really got the cost of their debt low and low for a long period of time and it will actually keep coming off because they've still got more debt to come that was done at much higher rates previously. And then when you look at the um, the toll road concessions that they own, if inflation does start to move, which I still think is, you know, sort of short term, not long term, but say it is long term, they, they're allowed to put up their tolls alongside inflation. So um, where, whereas the interest cost is hedged. Um, so, you know, that, that it can be quite desirable. But I just think, you know, it, it, Inevitably, the traffic on these roads will return um, over the next year or two, uh, and you know the, the tolls keep going up, and you know they just don't make assets like this. So I, I think it's a buy. Right. Okay. Great. All right. Uh, our next stock, uh, Ben. Josh wants a view on Northern Star Resources. Josh says uh, recent forecast seems optimistic. The gold price has been hit hard recently, but looks cheap at these levels, quality miner, good macroeconomic environment for gold, but the gold price has struggled. Is Bitcoin stealing gold's thunder? Uh, asked Josh, of course, Northern Star and Saracen did that mega merger. Um, um, now they basically control the big pit in uh, Kalgoorlie in uh, Western Australia, but they've also got operations in Alaska and, and the Northern Territory. Uh, regard as one of our, our Premium gold stocks, Ben. What do you think of Northern yeah. Star? Yeah, I, I, I sort of. I, this would be my pick of a gold producer a few months ago. Um, so I'm going to put a bit of an if there. Um, I just think this company, in rising, falling, and sideways gold prices, has found ways through asset recycling and mining optimization. Um, you know, they're one of the very few mining companies that has been good at buying assets when their mineral is out of favor um, and they've created a lot of shareholder value over the last decade you know Newcrest a decade ago were multiples ahead of them in terms of being the Australia's largest gold mine and Northern Star's getting very close now so that, that, that that's a big tick however a lot of that was done under Bill Beaumont the very widely regarded um, top regarded sort of mining executive and he has left and it was a bit of a surprise him leaving because he really put that Saracen merger together, which was seen as a company changing, um, you know, sort of um, acquisition. And it was surprising that he, you know, pretty much straight after that decided to move on. He's moved on to a, a, a very small gold um, explorer called Venturex. And that's, you know, I think mining is a lot about backing the right people it sounds yep. unusual but th there's just some people that seem 
to have a great track record of getting it right. And for that reason, I'd go a hold on this. I'd, I'd also add, I'm not really that keen on gold. Um, you know, I, I, I don't believe that we're moving into a, um, a nasty period of inflation over the next five years. I think we might for the next year or two, but I don't think it's going to last forever. And I do think Bitcoin has taken some of the luster off gold. You know, it's um, there's trillions of dollars have gone into digital coins. And a lot of the logic behind people wanting to own that is similar to the logic for wanting to own gold. So, um, you know, I, I, I think that has had an impact on the gold price. Mm, OK, um, Luke, what do you think? And uh, I should point out, Bill going to Venturex uh, sent a big spike <laughs> in their share price in the last six months as well. So. Gee, yeah, he, yeah. he carries a lot of prestige with him. Yeah, no, um, people definitely followed him to, to that story, hoping to see, you know, the next Northern Star get in early on the story. Um, yeah, look, I actually agree with Ben's last comment on Bitcoin as well. I don't have a view on Bitcoin and the price, but if you said to me, you know, is it taking some of the shine off gold? It's hard to say no, because Ben's spot on. Like the logic that some people have to owning Bitcoin, not everybody, mind you, some people are just there for the punt, but um, a lot of people view it as that that digital hedge against inflation. And, and, and that's what, what historically gold was. So, you know, to quantify exactly how much I don't know, but but I think it's fair to say it would be taking um, uh, some shine off gold. Um, no no pun intended. Um, look, Northern Star, it's it's been uh, a struggler now for about a year and a bit. But before that was just a fantastic business, and 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 um, agree on the point that you know that same jockey's not riding the horse with with um, Bill Beaumont gone. Um, but still, you've got um, not just one, but I guess two fantastic management teams with Northern Star and Saracen. And and to be honest, I'd back them to to, to figure out you know, any sort of headaches with regards to integration and, and getting the synergies across that team and, and, and the sites and the production. Um, the, looking at the short-term guidance they gave um, in the last update, it was pretty common to what I saw for a lot of Western Australian-based businesses and, and miners in particular. Um, and that was, um, they're seeing some hits from from some labour costs over there. So so they flagged a higher all-in sustaining cost on the back of some labour shortages shortages and some higher um, haulage costs as well. So that was a pretty common theme and didn't really surprise me when I, when I read that in the press presentation. Um, look, I don't have a, a great short-term view on Northern Star, but if someone said to me I wanted some gold exposure, you know, what should I own? It's hard to sort of recommend anything else from, from a longer-term point of view, just because it's such a proven performer. As Ben said, they've done it in a rising, falling or flat gold price. Um, they've done it in a lot of different ways, be that through increasing production, selling assets, you know, mergers and acquisitions. Um, they've shown they can do it all. So um, longer term, I would back them, but, but shorter term, given that weak guidance um, and, 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 you know, maybe betting down, uh, you know, who's that next person after Bill to really drive this company, you'll probably just hold it. Okay. All right. Um, Callum wants a view, Luke, on identity. Um, Callum says, G'day. Like uh, Luke and the team's views on uh, identity, the company's attracting some big players in the financial space. Looks like it's delivering on its growth strategy. Capital raisings have hurt it over recent years. However, looking ahead, it's becoming more attractive. What are your thoughts? Of course, it's a fintech business that, that uses uh, blockchain to, it, it sort of, Luke, gets in this sort of grey, sort of high-tech area of banks, isn't it? And protecting capital payments between banks and their clients. Yeah, look, as best as I can tell, I must apologise to Callum. You know, he sort of um, called out for my, my specific opinion. It's not one I'd, I'd looked at too closely before, but I, I did go and have a, a close look after getting the list. Um, you know, and, and as best as I could tell, it's, it's software for, for anti-money laundering compliance. And yeah. so it, it uses, yeah, some blockchain technology. To save technology. you from Oztrack. 
of July. That's right. They <laughs> do flag. Cleared. And I actually, I saw the AFR. There was an article about um, uh, Austrac and some of the things they're targeting at the minute. So, you know, it's, it's well and truly the, the, the flavor of the day. Yeah. Um, and, and yes, they do use some, some blockchain technology. And, and as best as I can tell, it's to standardize that reporting of the transaction across all the different players in the ecosystem. So look, you know, it's definitely a product, you know, that, that fits that need. I, I have no doubt about that. The, the inner workings of the product, of course, it's hard for us from the outside looking in to, to, to say too much. But, you know, um, they've had plenty of announcements about um, awards and things like that. They've won for, for fintech, um, you know, entrepreneurs of the year and, and things like that. Um, and, and, and Callum's right. I mean, I you know, they, they highlight this in their presentations the quality of their client base. They've got HSBC as, I guess, a core client who's been there now for a few years and recently announced a, a letter of intent for, um, for for Citigroup to also come on board as well, which I guess will happen over the next few months. Um, one note I did take was that the, the, the revenue coming from those customers appeared quite small. Um, HSBC was only about 600000 a year. So my thoughts there is it's probably just with the Australian um, branches of those banks, which are, you know, they're, they're small banks, but internationally, those are, of course, much bigger uh, banks and, and businesses. So maybe that land and expand strategy could lead somewhere in the future. Um, my main concern with it, and, and Callum touched on this in his comment, was um, the capital raisings. And that's not a problem. I mean, I, I've invested in some small micro caps that, you know, are still loss making and need to rely on the market to raise capital. There's not issue with that. The, the the major thing I saw was that I just didn't see a, a founder in the business um, that had, um, you know, a founder or, or an executive that had kept a good stake in the business through all those raises. So I went back and looked, they listed back in 2018 and the founder back at that time had 17% of the business and he's since been diluted back to about 6% and as best as I could tell, hasn't really participated to any great degree in, in the capital raises or, or, or on market. So that would be one of my issues is that they're still burning a lot of cash um, and, and with a business like this where, where that is the case, I just like to see someone who's got real skid in the game um, yep. because there is the there is the risk that without that, you know, there's no impetus, I guess, on them to, to, to really wind back that cash burn and focus on the on the economic health of the business, you know, when, when push comes to shove. So, look, I'd have it as a hold, Callum, because you're obviously there for the technology in the blue sky. Um, but just be aware of that risk. I think there's definitely another capital raise in it. They've only got about 12 months cash left. So that, that risk is definitely still on the table. Uh, ben? Yeah, it, these are always tricky ones because it, it, it really comes down to having a really good your head around what the technology is. How's it different to the competitors? Is it, you know, is there a real need for it in the industry, a problem that they're trying to solve? Um, and, you know, I, like when I was looking, I had a quick flick through some of their presentations. There's some, you know, they've, they've identified what they're doing, but I wouldn't say it's like a deep dive into exactly, you know, the industry and who they are competing against, etc. cetera. Um, I'd probably take a slightly more negative view on this one. Um, I, I think, you know, to me, the cash is the king. And although there's been a lot of announcements about customer signups, if you look over the last four years, the revenue has gone from like a couple of hundred grand to $1.3 million a year. To me, it's just not like it's not ramping up. And, and the company is spending about $6 million a year to generate that revenue. So that, of course, leads to quite a big cash gap. I, I, these guys, I think, will need to raise before the end of the year. They're the, the cash balance is already looking quite skinny. Um, so, look, I'd probably have a sell on it um, unless um, Callum um, knows something about this technology and that it is really going to achieve something that everyone um, needs. And um, I'm not sure if that's the case or not. Yeah. So if you're in at Callum and you've, we've got that spike up in the last week, yeah. 
um, month or so. Take advantage of it, maybe. Um, ben Gabby wants a view on uh, Resi Mac, the uh, the mortgage lender, and um, um, basically it's a uh, a lending specialist to a lot of mortgage brokers and things like that. Um, non-bank lender, 87% increase in profit in the last financial year, revenue up 3%, uh, dividend um, up as well, uh, impairments down by a lot, which seem to uh, feed into the, the profit line yeah. after uh, last year, taking a very conservative view on the future ahead and setting aside a lot for future um, uh, problem loans, um, it's wound that, that back. Yeah, I, I thought this looked really good, Koshi, and I've got to admit it wasn't one I've really had a good look at before. Um, it looks cheap. Uh, it's it's trading on a earnings multiple under 10. Um, it's delivered a fantastic result um, in August on, on the yep. numbers. The return on equity of this business is about 37%. Um, you know, just like one of the screens that we run through the market, just, you know, sort of trying to identify stocks out there that might be worth a second look, is where the um, the ROE is double the um, PE. Um, you know, right. it, it often says that there's a quality business there potentially at a good valuation. You've got to then go and work out how sustainable it all is. But this, you know, this is nearly four times just putting it on that metric, which is not normal. You don't see it very often. Um, However, you know, there's always a there's always a but. Um, and so, what they they lend money to a lot of customers through the mortgage broking network. Yeah. Uh, that typically might not be able to get a mortgage from a, a bank, and with that, of course, comes generally better margins. Um, so, in the good times, they make good profits. But there's always the worry that if you get an economic downturn or something hits, you know, you think about tradies and stuff like that, you know, sort of people who may, might not have PAYG pay slips and things, they need, they sort of fall off the radar of the big banks in terms of lending. Um, it can change quickly. You know, if, if a, a small proportion of your, um, of your mortgage book start not repaying their debt, and if you think about what's going on in the country at the moment with small business, um, you know, really in dire shape, I would say you probably it's it's the reason I think it's probably cheap. The, the other thing to be aware of is might be less well known is what's going on in the RMBS market, which is um, the so um, companies like this can issue bonds which are backed by um, mortgages. Um, and of course, it was made famous by the. Um, the big short and and what um, occurred during the GFC, during the GFC, the bond, the RMBS market here completely froze, um, uh, literally shut. Yeah. And, you know, bizarrely now, because of all the things that have happened since there, um, RMBS bonds are now being issued on the lowest margins in history. So it's oh. gone completely full circle. And that is aiding their profitability as well, because they're borrowing this money at much lower costs than they've typically been able to, and they're on lending it. You know, yes, interest rates are cheap, but the, the margin, I think, has opened up. So there could be a couple of things there that could change, but I don't think they're going to change imminently. I'm going to go buy. Okay. All right. Luke? 
Yeah, look, Ben's, Ben's spot on, and he touched on all the, the, the main talking points that, that I wanted to as well, and, and the same conclusion. Look, I, I think that the stock is a buy, and I, I think he's right. It's cheap um, because I, I think that overhang risk that you have across a few different stocks, but but if you're exposed to the housing market, I think some people sort of have a bit of a fear that, you know, are we in a bubble or, or, or could you see a slowdown there? Um but look, you know, yeah, non-bank lender, um, they're, they're growing those net interest margins, as, as Ben correctly pointed out. It's mostly on the funding side rather than the, um, you know, the interest um, coming in from the clients. Um, NPAT was up uh, 87%, but a lot of that was the uh, provision unwind, as you pointed out, um, Koshi. Um, I, I think it reverts back to probably NPAT growth around 10 to 15% moving forward. But, but you know, that's um, very solid growth and it's, it's better than what you're seeing at the big four. Um, Looking at the presentation, they've got less than 1% share of the mortgage market, so they've got the potential to, to grow a lot more. Um, and, and, you know, even on a PE of, of nine-ish of where they are now, if they continue to grow at that 10 to 15% in a few years, you know, what looks cheap now becomes extremely cheap in, in, in yep. two or three years. Um, and I agree with Ben that, that longer term, I think there's risks to this business and this business model um, with, with how it's financed and, and, and potentially some of the uh, the customers it's more likely to attract than the big four. But I don't see them as, as imminent risks. Like, um, you know, one, one of the <coughs> things that doesn't really concern me too much about that sort of market is, is central banks around the world, you know, they, they saw the GFC, they, they know the playbook. Um, yep. So, you know, if those if those same risks that, that emerge from the GFC look like emerging again, central banks know exactly what to do. Last time it was a black swan, this time it isn't. So, you know, a general slowdown hits them, no doubt, but I, I, I don't suspect there's okay. a, uh, you know, a catastrophic risk to this business. So I, I don't have it as a buy as well, and I think you do quite well over the next few years with a stock like this. Mm. Okay. All right. Uh, Caitlin wants a view on Link Administration, the uh, big provider of... Um, uh, basically uh, administration services for our big superannuation funds. Caitlin says one of the worst performers on the ASX last week, 18% fall in net profits. Is this a sell, Luke? <laughs> yeah, unfortunately for Caitlin, not just the last week, but the last couple of years, it's been one of the worst performers. Yeah, it, it made its way into the uh, the tech index when the ASX launched that a, a couple of years ago. And it, it's, um, you know, I think came from second or third on that list, you know, down to like, 17th or 18th on, on, you know, just the poor performance and others overtaking it. I have to admit, I, you know, it's one where I, I thought, oh, quite an ugly business and, and, you know, it's on the list, let's open it up. It's, you know, from, from an operational point of view, it's not, it's not the worst business in the world. You know, you're in some very, um, some very steady spots. You're in, you know, uh, registries and, and, and providing software to superannuations and, and pension funds. 85% um, of their revenues recurring, good cash generation. I mean, these are qualities that, that aren't horrible and, and, and you know, um, you, would, you would look for in a lot of businesses. The, I think the problem you have is that there's just no growth. There's no growth to the business. Mm. And perhaps in an attempt to chase that growth, management have... Um, you know, look towards acquisitions, spinning off PEXA, you know, a range of different capital activities um, instead of just, uh, you know, focusing on their knitting, um, taking the free cash flow that, that gets generated and, 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 you know, maybe doing something simple like buyback shares, paying large dividends and just being content with um with, with being a mature business, it's low growth, but still still a quality one. So um, look, a little bit like Umult, uh, United Malt Group we were talking about at the start, um, you know, I think Link has got a lot of skeletons out of its closet. Um, you know, I, I think the decision to float PEXA instead of sell that was a good one. Um, you know, if they decided to sell that to me, you know, whenever a business sells their best asset, I just, I feel that's never a good decision, even if, yep. you know, you're in a good market and getting a good price. So the decision to float that out, get some, um, you know, some, some pricing transparency from an open market allows the market now to price PEXA within Link a lot better. Um, you know, 
the the issue I have and similar to United Malt is just the short term outlook is still cloudy. They called for low single digit revenue growth, which is not, you know, uh, doesn't surprise me. I think this is a sort of low to mid single digit revenue growth business over the, the medium to long term, but sort of flagged that they'd have some some higher expenses as they continue to ramp up some development and some some other things. So called for flat profits on next year. I think that just keeps a cap on the price, um, you know, for the foreseeable future. So yep. if you're in it, you probably hold it after that result. I think they've gotten all the bad news out. The PEX afloat helps a little bit on that on that pricing, but I couldn't step in and buy, and buy a link yep. until you started to see some real fundamental um, change okay. in the business. All right, Ben, is Caitlin too harsh on link? <laughs> uh, probably not, actually. I, we, we actually own link, and I'm feeling equally harsh on it. So... It's um it's been disappointing. I I I I'll say a buy. Um, you know, partly because we own it and I, I need to. I should, but um, I, I really do think it is. Um, if you look at, I think Pexa is one of the highest quality tech businesses on this market. I still think the fundies are getting their head around it. Um, it's only been demerged um out of out of Link and the and the um, CBA and Morgan Stanley were the other two uh, shareholders onto the exchange a few months ago. Um, it's basically the the digital registry that all home loans settle through. That you do yep. your land title searches, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And if you look at Link's valuation, um, two thirds of their enterprise value is now equal to their 42% stake in Pexa. So mm. if if you kind of strip that out and then look at Link's remaining core businesses, which I admit um, have not performed, you know, as well as I I would have hoped it does look seriously cheap. Like it's trading on about half of the enterprise value to EBITDA multiple the computer share is trading on. They're, they're kind of different businesses, but there are there is quite, quite a bit of overlap there. It's probably the best comparable that you can, that you can come up with. For me, the management st- strategy has been confused and not well done. Um, you know, the, the new CEO came, coming in, was talking up selling down the PEX estate to return capital to shareholders. And then suddenly he had an offer on the table to buy um, additional um, equity in PEXA, which didn't turn out happening. So I kind of agree with Luke here in that in the short term, I don't see a big catalyst because um, yep. I think, you know, the, the guidance was conservative. Um, the market was expecting some scalability on the revenue growth and a better amount of EBITDA growth. However, I do think that Link is a seller of PEXA at some stage in the next six to 12 months, they could start a sell down. And there could be some pretty big capital that comes out that makes the rest of the business looks cheap. And we did also have two private equity, separate private equity firms table bids for this business at much higher levels, which I think sort of underpins the current share price. So I'm sticking with it and uh, saying a buy. Okay, a buy, but, um, but by the sound of it, you're keener on Pexa. And the Koshi, you know, like, you know, you've had Jeremy, I think, on the show before, and we met, and he said to me, this is a bit like News Corp and REA. You know, we, we've been long term holders of REA yeah. um, and always oh. been watching News Corp. If, if you like, you, we probably should be owning Pexa because it, it is amazing that it doesn't always come through. Um, but Pexa's only. You know, you've only had the option to invest in PEXA directly in the last month or so. Um, so, but, you know, if you look at News Corp, it has underperformed REA because it's got other parts yeah. of the business like Foxtel, yeah. et cetera, which haven't done as well. Yeah, and that PEXA share price is uh, uh, down, at its, um, down at, its, at its lows since it um, listed as well. 
Hmm. We'll yeah. have you a look yeah. at. Um, all right, uh, let's just recap the uh, the first five stocks. United Malta, a buy from Ben, a hold from uh, from Luke Transurban, um, a buy from Ben and from um, from Luke, a hold. But if you depends on the type of investor you are, if you're after income and inflation hedge, then um, you should be interested in it. Uh, Northern Star, uh, a hold from Luke for Ben. Um, it's a uh, if you want a long-term gold buy, if you need gold exposure um, and you want that in your portfolio, Northern Star would probably be the pick. Uh, identity, uh, a no from Ben, a hold from Luke. Resi Mac, a yes from both. And uh, Link, a yes from Ben and a hold if you're in it um, from Luke. Um, here on the call, we've been following our uh, the call's fantasy portfolio, thanks to our partner NabTrade. And uh, let's any stocks that get two thumbs up uh, from our panel, like Resimac has had um, so far today, they go into the call's portfolio. See how we've been going for the week up 0.8%, for the month 3.5% uh, since the 1st of July this financial year, 5.1% uh, since inception on the 1st of July 20. 20 up 42 percent some of the stocks recently added uh, points bet harvey norman camplify ready tech holdings and unity group some of the stocks taken out uh, appen flight center and vanguard's global value etf um, you can check all of the stocks in the calls portfolio go to osvis.co forward slash portfolio and uh, don't forget your chance to tell your friends about us and enter our prize pool draw for a chance to Win one of six prizes worth $10,000, including a $5,000 trading account in self-wealth that closes this Sunday. So no better time to tell your friends about us. Just use the uh, referral code in your Close of Business newsletter and share it with your networks. And if you haven't subscribed to the Ausbiz platform, uh, go to ausbiz.co forward slash join and read all the terms and conditions. All right, let's get into uh, the second half of the call now and uh, Luke um, Jum Julian wants a view on Jumbo Interactive. Uh, Julian says, I feel over the years they've been focusing on paying a dividend as opposed to retaining their earnings and putting it towards their growth. Of course, it's a software company uh, specialises in online lottery tickets. Um, here in Australia, they provide it for, uh, for Tabcorp, for Lotto and the like and also for charity organisations expanding around the world. What do you think of Jumbo, Luke? Yeah, look, it is also one of the big losers of reporting season. Um, I, I'll step back and just take Julian's comment for a second. I, I actually tend to agree with his, his comment. They may, may not have invested heavily enough for growth. Um, just on the comment about the dividend, though, it's such a capital-light business. You know, it's not a business that needs to reinvest a ton of money back into itself. So, you know, to me, they probably, if they were going to invest more for growth, um, you know, just just um, done that through their normal P and L, and just have lower margins or something like that. It's it's a very high margin business as well. Um, to to go back to the report, um, it disappointed the market. The market it ran up into the report, it was trading on about forty times earnings, and I think when the numbers came out, it just couldn't justify that that sort of growth profile it needed. 
the, the main one for me that I took from the report and, and where I do agree with Julian is um, if you open up Tabcorp's report and, and they have their Kino and Lotteries division as, as a part of Tabcorp, actually looking to spin it out and, and um, or, you know, separate uh, separate those business divisions. The Tabcorp broke out that the digital, digital lotteries segment in Australia grew 27%. So the overall digital online purchasing of lottery tickets grew 27%. But Jumbo only managed to grow 15% within that. So it, it suggests they're underperforming just the general industry growth. Um, and most of that comes from Tabcorp's own um, offering themselves. So Tabcorp has the lot, um, which is a website app and, and very similar to Jumbo, sells lottery tickets online. Um, and I think that's where I sort of agree with Julian that I think Jumbo probably haven't kept up with the lot as well as they should have um, or, or could have. And, and I think it's potentially only going to get worse as Tabcorp moves towards this demerger or, or, or separates the divisions and they're looking to really, um, you know, make the Kino and Lotteries division, which I think is the crown jewel of Tabcorp apart from the wagering and media, um, really make that segment look as nice as possible for a potential IPO or, or however the transaction will be structured. One of the ways they can really do that is drive the digital penetration of lotteries because you can see it overseas with a bunch of other lit listed lottery operators. As that, as that digital penetration increases, the margins just go with it and they just become very right. beautiful capital light businesses. So I think I think you'll see Tabcorp really drive the lot it's offering and it could really hurt Jumbo. So um, I'm a little bit negative on that core business. Um, the market will turn to, um, and, and Jumbo has done this as well, um, look to the new offerings and, and you touched on it, Koshi, they're looking to get into charity uh, lotteries and also looking to white label their software for, for other lotteries. So the first one they've announced is Lottery West over in WA. So Jumbo will be the software, but um, it's not it's not powered by Jumbo. It's it's you know it's Lottery West. When you go on the website, yep. you'll see their logo and everything like that. Those businesses they're just still um, so early days compared to the the, the Tabcorp ticket reselling. So for me, um, I, I think it's it's I'll put it this way. I think if, if you're looking for a shorter term opportunity, um, I, I would actually probably say sell Jumbo. I, I think it could struggle in, in probably the, the maybe six to 12 month time frame. Longer term, I actually like this management team. I like their strategy and I think they can be successful moving away from Tadcorp. They've got some certainty now with a 10 year agreement, mm. but not on great terms for them. It gives them certainty, but it, you know, it really exercised sure. Tadcorp's power in the relationship they've got. Um, so, yeah, I don't know how you put that with the buy, hold, sell, but on, on a short term, I would probably look towards other opportunities. Okay. Ben? Yeah, I think that's bang on. Um, I, I, a couple of other comments I'd make is just with the result, um, there was a lack of the big jackpot lotteries in the last six months, which is when you get um, big customer drive to buy lotto tickets. So, you know, the $100 million yeah. um, Powerballs, et cetera, that's... Um, they, they didn't have any of those during that six month period. So there were kind of fewer players playing and um, the, the the price per ticket that people were paying up for um, was under somewhat a bit of pressure. But, you know, the, the relationship with Tabcorp, it's always been not messy, but it's been kind of problematic, I, I would guess, for them. Tabcorp actually used to be the largest shareholder of this business once upon a time. and. Um, you know, there was always the view in the market that they might actually take it over. But if they've gone their own way, which is probably going to turn out to be a lot cheaper and less risky for them. And I do completely agree with Luke that once, um, you know, the demerger of Tabcorp occurs, there'll be some fresh eyes looking at the investment in this technology and, you know, whether they should be doing anything else. So we've also got Scientific Games. is Their lotteries business in the US is doing a roadshow through um, Australia and talking about floating here, so there's probably a bit more knowledge mm. coming in that area. 
Um, the the offshore um, the offshore opportunities are interesting. Um, a lot of countries around the world are quite a bit behind Australia in terms of going digital. So you know, I think there is some ability of what is I think a good management team to to take advantage of that. But it's not going to move the needle much either way. But you, right. you know, you could see a period in the next year where you do get a few of those big booming lotteries, massive take up, the earnings looks better. I'm going to go a hold. Okay. All right. Um, next one, Mikey wants a view, Ben, on Deterra royalties. Uh, what do the experts uh, think of this? Uh, it's performance, long term prospects. It's a funny company, isn't it? It's basically a couple of accountants yeah. who wander down the bank and um, bank the check from uh, the mining royalties of one of BHP's um, uh, big iron ore uh, deposits. What is it? Mining C, I think it is. Area C. That's right. It's called the Mac. Um, yeah. we, we own Deterra. Um, I, I really like this business. I always reckon, Koshi, if you can find a business which is super simple, easy to understand, <laughs> you're not going to get announcements out of left field with something yep. you hadn't thought of. Um, this would be the most capital light business I've ever come across where, um, you know, the, virtually, uh, uh, as you said, you know, a few staff, um, very little overheads, BHP takes on all the risk and they get this royalty. So the way the royalty works is they get 1.232% of revenue that comes out of the Mac. And that's a big difference to many. There's a lot of royalty companies that trade in, um, in Toronto and in New York. Yeah. When you look at those royalty companies, a lot of it's done on profit, um, which is obviously less desirable and much more, um, there's a much more arguable. Um, generally also with, you know, maybe a, a copper miner in South America that's got an eight year mine life and there's a royalty on the profit. This, this mine will be still producing in 2076 at BHP's estimate. Wow. And the, they're, they're currently producing 57 million tonnes of iron ore, but they're doing an enormous expansion to the south. And in two to two and a half years now, they will be producing 140 million tonnes of iron ore out of this mine. I, oh. My view on it is that Deterra on the current production of the Mac looks about right in terms of where it's priced. But if you fast forward two and a half years and the you know, the, the, the production is almost going to triple out of this mine. Um, the big unknown is what will the iron ore price be at the time? Because that's yep. the uncertainty and also the currency to some extent. But I think, you know, you can easily use a very conservative conservative iron ore price assumption and get to a 10% plus yield in 2023 going mm. forward for the next 30, 40 years. So okay. um, I'm a buyer. Okay. Luke? Look, I, I agree, and it's not one I'd looked at closely. Um, you know, I was familiar with it when it um, spun out of Iluca, obviously, and, and was sort of aware of, as you said, Koshi, it's a, a bunch of accountants who collect a check every quarter, and that sounds interesting. But taking a deeper look, I, I actually agree with everything Ben said, and I, I come to the same conclusion, is that if you want some resources exposure, this is a very interesting way to do it. Um, you get, you know, um, yeah, probably the best royalty in the world um, tied to, to, to one of, 
probably the best operations in the world um, run by BHP. Um, you've only got three inputs to the to the amount that um, you know Deter will recognise as revenue every year. That's how much BHP produces, which again I, I think given the quality of BHP, you wouldn't expect too many issues there. Um, you know, unless you have natural disasters or something like that. Um, the iron ore price, which Ben was touching on, and then currency. And so, you know, management. You look at their presentation. Management give you a very good uh, you know matrix diagram of of uh, what this business could look like if um, you punch in some different variables. Mm. So if you want to um, sort of look at uh, different levels of production versus different levels of price, um, it, it tells you exactly how much revenue they'd expect to generate. Okay. Um, I agree with Ben that you know it looks uh, about twenty. 20 times earnings on today's numbers, but the, the, you know you only have to look forward one, two, three years. Um, of course, the price I think likely comes down, but even taking some pretty conservative estimates on price, I, I agree with Ben. I have it coming down to about you know a, a nine, ten percent yield in, in a couple of years, which looks very attractive. And so, for anyone who can can sort of stomach maybe a little bit of short-term volatility, just because that you know that Dalian on all price is like a casino at the minute. Um, if you can stomach that short-term volatility and look forward two, three years, I, I think you do really well with this okay. stock. Um, you've got a management team who haven't proven themselves in a listed environment yet, but you know from the um, presentation, I think they uh, 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 talk really well about their plans for the future. They're looking to acquire some other royalties. And the big one as well is just the potential for M&A. Um, the major royalty player is, um, as, as Ben pointed out, Franco Nevada um, over in the US. Yep. Uh, no, sorry, it's, it's Toronto. Um, you know, those guys are, are the big grill in the room. They could look at a, at a deter if that if that valuation gets too low and, right. just, and just buy them out. So okay. yeah, I have a buy as well. Excellent. All right, let's move on to the next one. We'll need to pick up the pace a bit. Uh, three stocks to go. Uh, Deborah wants a view, Luke, on Splitter. Deborah says, I've got a small holding that I purchased last year. Currently at a loss. What are your thoughts, Splitter? Sort of a, a one of the smaller buy now, pay later type of uh, fintechs. Uh, share prices really tumbled over the last 12 months. Yeah, look, I, I came on the start of the year on, on Ausbiz and, and, and gave some like, you know, predictions for the year. And, and one of my predictions, but I, th I thought second and third tier buy now pay laters would really struggle. And the reason for that was simple. It wasn't, you know, the demand of the industry, which is clear and, and you know, the growth they were getting. It just came from a, you know, lending has been around for millennia and the game is simple. It's a game of scale. And, and you know, Afterpay, Affirm and Klarna got there first. And so I looked at Split It. Um, I, I hadn't looked too closely, but, but um, what I went and did look at was, you know, they've signed a, um, a warehouse facility with Goldman Sachs um, at a rate of 6.85%. Um, you look at Afterpay's annual report, they've got a similar warehouse with Goldman Sachs. It's 1.69. You just can't win in this game. Like, you know, Afterpay, you, you can't compete with them when that's their cost of funding and yours is, is you know, um, nearly four times as much. So... Like you know, to me, it's 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 a simple it's a simple game. Um, to, I I would hesitate to say this business doesn't exist in five years. Now, for um, Deborah, that could mean it gets merged with another buy now pay later to try and achieve some scale. But the other the other alternative is that it just simply you know it's it's not economical, continues to burn cash, and, and eventually goes bankrupt. So yep. I I don't see this business around in five years. It's just about what happens in between now and then. But I, I would sell it. Okay, Ben. Sell, yep, uh, couldn't agree more. This company's still got a two hundred million dollar market cap. It's it's not yeah. small, you know. It's um, and if if you the revenue is growing nicely, but they're still burning plenty of cash. And as Luke yeah. said, there one of the reasons their cost of funding is very high. To get that costing fund of funding down, you need to grow significantly. It's still largely Australian based, where it just feels like there's a deluge of players that, that you're competing against. 
And I, I just think this is like Visa slash Master. You know, it's a winner takes all sort of yep. thing. And um, all right, there, there's Go three the players leaders. that take all. All right, Ben. Yep. All right, Next one uh, that our viewers want to look at is Zero, the uh, the small business uh, accounting platform. Um, just recently launched um, the Zero App Store as a, um, as extra plugins. What do you reckon of Zero, Ben? Uh, yeah, so this is one we own as well. I, I, I'm going to go hold, um, and that's purely because um, of the COVID sort of knock-on effects on small business at the moment, just probably yeah. wanting to get a bit of confidence. You know, the, the beauty of this business is it is literally the last thing that gets switched off if a business unfortunately does go to the wall. They've still got to do their last tax return, the BAS statement, the you know, all of the um, accounting stuff. So incredibly sticky Aside from the short-term uncertainty around COVID, I think this is one of the highest quality businesses you will find on our market. The ability to add on adjacencies, new customers, everyone will tell you it's expensive, but one of the reasons is that they're reinvesting 80 to 85% of revenue back into the business, which masks the underlying profitability. And if you look at the long time, the LTV or the lifetime value within this business, which I reckon is the best metric to follow it on, it continues to grow significantly, and I yep. think we'll we'll keep going. So long-term buy, but a short-term hold. Uh, Luke? Um, yeah, look, this may be controversial because Zero is, is, is a very high-quality business. I'd actually, I agree with Ben. It could be one of the best on the ASX. I'm actually going to say sell. I think you know, the valuation at, at 23 times revenue, to me, I, I need to see you know much faster growth, but in particular, what really got me was US growth. I think um, in this report, they did report 18% growth, but but uh, all of that came from Australia, which is great. Australia and New Zealand's their core market, but we know that market's limited and, and they really need the US to, to justify the valuation. And I think they're struggling over there. So in, okay. in the US, 18% subscriber growth, but only 2% revenue growth suggests some pricing issues and, and Intuit's the big gorilla in the room over there. So you may be seeing some competition. Mm. And then the other one, like they're very, they're very transparent about all this zero. I'll give them credit. Um, they, they give their SaaS metrics and their international segment, the, the, the cost of customer acquisition payback period has blown out from 16 months to 22 months over the last couple of years. Now, that includes the UK, which I think would be dragging, um, dragging that down a little bit. To me, suggests they're throwing a lot okay. of money at the US and really struggling there. So I just need to see some US traction before I, I stepped in. But if you if you did hold it and it is so such high quality, I, 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 you know, I wouldn't you know, um, say... To, to not keep holding it. But, yeah, I'd have to sell it on that valuation. Okay. All right. And our final stock, Luke, is uh, Metcash, the, the big distribution and marketing company. Uh, they supply everything for IGAs, uh, celebrations, bottle out, mitre 10, part of them, total tools. What do you think of Metcash? Yeah, look, they had a really good result. And obviously, you know, COVID's, COVID's helped them, uh, particularly in that, that liquor business, as you pointed out, hardware as well. Um, but even their food business, which has been sort of struggling for a while, stabilised during COVID. Um, and then, you know, very good cash conversion and credit to management. They took that cash, paid down some debt, um, you know, did a, have announced a small little buyback as well. Uh, overall, a, a really good result. Um, trades on about 15 times earnings, which I think is probably fair. So, you know, I, I'd probably just have it as a hold. Um, but you know, it's 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 a much better business than what it was even one or two years ago, and and yeah, a lot of that's driven by COVID. But um, nonetheless, they've like I said, cleaned up the balance sheet, um, gives themselves some flexibility to maybe make another acquisition or two. 
Um, and the trading update they gave at the AGM the other day was solid as well. So food sort of consolidated mm-hmm. a bit, but they're still seeing growth in liquor and hardware. So okay. I would just hold it just on that valuation, I think, is, is fair. Yep. But, um, you know, if, again, like Transurban, if someone's after a good fully frank yield, it's, it's a place I'd have a look. Ben? Yeah, I'll go hold as well. Um, you know, I, I think management has done a really good job in what was a, a bit of a dog of a business for many years. However, um, you know, I do think that they've got some big COVID benefits. Um, people have rather to go to the closer local store rather than the big Woolworths where they're worried that they might catch the virus. Hardware sales, we know that there's been a renovation boom that which has been unleashed as a result of um, COVID and stay at home and record low interest rates. So there's been some macro factors which have assisted them and there's been some good management decisions. So um, for that reason, I'd, I'd go a hold. Okay. Gentlemen, great to have you aboard as usual. Always a very informative and entertaining hour with you two blokes. So Luke Winchester from uh, Merriweather Capital. Great to see you. Ben Clark from TMS. Uh, thank you, gents. Enjoy the rest of your week. Uh, let's Thanks. just... Uh, Recap the final five stocks. Uh, Jumbo International, a hold from uh, from Ben, a sell from Luke to Terra, a buy from both of them because of uh, the yield. Uh, split it, a sell from both. Um, if you're going to go and buy now, pay later, just go into the market leaders. Uh, zero, a hold from Ben, a sell from Luke, and Metcash, a hold from both. That's it uh, from us for today. If you would like to suggest any stocks we can cover on your behalf, put them in an email, the call at ausbiz.com.au or tweet us using the at TV handle. All the stocks in the calls fantasy portfolio are at ausbiz.co forward slash portfolio. Thanks for your company on the call. We will be back same time tomorrow with another 10 stocks to put towards our expert panel. <laughs> Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.